0: This is The Think Tank with Dr. Mike O'Neill Talking about the major political, economic and social issues of the week The Think Tank, KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com our guest, a return guest, Senator Dennis Consini was U.S. Senator from Arizona from 1977 to 1995. You may not remember it, but you were one of our early guests about eight years ago. So I get to say welcome back to the show, Senator.
1: I, I do remember, but uh, it seems like i longer than that.
0: <laughs> well, I know it can't be longer than that because I've only been doing this for eight years.
1: Uh, yeah, OK. <laughs> I'm just I'm just kidding. I, I, I you know, I said When when you ask about it and getting on your program or something, I said, "Gee, I know, I know, I know that guy." And I tried to replace it. (laughs) Go ahead.
0: Your record as a senator was very moderate for a Democrat on the conservative side of the scale for Democrats. To me, this brings forth an obvious and and current uh, question: Senator Kirsten Sinema has been compared to you in that regard. In each case, you were arguably among the more conservative or moderate. Democrats in the Senate Democratic Caucus. Is this a fair analogy, and uh, how do you think it's different in terms of the times?
1: Well, it's, you know, um, Arizona, when I when I was elected, uh, excuse me for a little history, when I was elected the first time in uh, 76, took office in 77, uh, the, the state was still slightly blue. The next two times I ran, it had turned red. Has been read ever since, and uh, it uh, the the state always had what they call Pinto Democrats in those days, which means more moderate or conservative Democrats. I grew up that way with a father who was in politics. He was attorney general and Supreme Court judge, and that's when you had to run for office. So I just grew up grew up that way, more more in the middle. Uh, it's uh, I, I think Kirsten Cinema realizes that is better than not anybody I know. I think. Although Kelly Kelly certainly really realizes it too, that uh, and people would call me and still do occasionally and want to run for office and they say you know get some advice. I always say stay in the center and don't don't go off one side or the other. Uh, it it's a little difficult to maneuver because in the Democratic Party the so-called progressives, which we used to call liberals, uh, you know they, they expect a lot more out of you. And then that includes also labor and some special interest groups. And on the other hand, you have uh, the, uh, you know, a lot, lot of different um, middle of the road and in independence. And there's far more independence today uh, than and when I ran in, in, in for, for three terms. So I think she understands that and is very, very good at trying to maneuver it. When I say try, you, 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 you have a difficult time when you try to please both sides, and uh, she's having that now because of the consummation over the filibuster and, and a few other things. But she, uh, she she's pretty good at it, uh, and uh, I, I I think she'll—I I don't know, but I think she'll find some way to uh, come out in the middle.
0: So if I understand you, uh, it sounds like you're saying uh, she's playing things in general wisely.
1: Well, yes and no. You know, I, I, I far be it from me to give her advice. She's very successful. Uh, she 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 stays in the center, but I think she's got herself now kind of hung out on the limb on the on the filibuster, and uh, I am hopeful that she'll, along with uh, Senator Manchin, will find some middle ground uh, without doing away with the filibuster, but find some way carve out or change some of the procedure. And while we're on that subject matter, Mike, and maybe you want to talk about it later, but when I was there, the filibuster, the person who was filibustering had to stay on the floor and then you could not leave. And once you left, then there was an automatic vote. And I think the record was something like 22 hours or something uh, by Strom Thurmond, if I recall. And uh, that's how it worked then. And then so eventually... Eventually, the filibuster would would subside, or at least you would get a vote on whether or not to impose cloture, which is to call the filibuster to an end, and then you don't need 60 votes. And uh, I'm hopeful that she and, and Senator Manchin will find some way to carve out, and that's one one possibility or one option they could use. The other is individual carve-outs, which is a little bit uh, Difficult because of uh, when do you apply it and when don't you apply it, and it's been applied as you know for federal judges and Supreme Court judges, and of course reconciliation, and uh, it's 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 difficult uh, that uh, how you carve it out if you carve it out for the Voting, <coughs> John Lewis Voting Rights Act, or ca- carve it out for the um, some other uh, legislation. Uh, Just for that, then it's going to become a habit of closely uh, matched um, members in the Senate. What are they they going to carve out? So it seems to me the best thing to do that is to go back to the the way they say, the good old days. And I'm, I'm hopeful that she will come to that conclusion. I've not had an opportunity to talk to her about it.
0: It's interesting. I haven't heard that particular option discussed as much as the carve-out option, but it has a certain inherent appeal in that um, it it embraces tradition. And it says we've gotten astray from what we used to have, which was if a bill was up that somebody felt very, very strongly about, he could not stop it, but he could – Force a a considered delay uh, in the process, but ultimately it would get a vote. Yes,
1: that's, that's correct. And, and in those days, when I was there, there excuse me, there would be occasions that uh, the the person that was filibustering uh, would 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 get some compromise, and uh, you know, or get an extension of bringing the bill up for, for review, which means that. They would get another opportunity to filibuster and to work out and negotiate any, any changes or, or suggestions they wanted to make to please the senator or the member who was filibustering it. And that, that, that seemed to work, although there, there was ample filibustering and it was difficult to do. Uh, my, my position was very clear. I was against the filibuster and I always voted to uh, eliminate it.
0: Uh, in in terms of inducing compromise, I see different types of legislation that lend themselves more or less well to that. If if the subject is infrastructure, uh, it's about it's about how much. It seems to me that lends itself to compromise. If the subject is voting rights, that may be more difficult. Do you does that seem like a fair distinction yes, to you? Yeah, no,
1: I I I agree. I agree with that. Too. Observation or conclusion, uh, uh, Mike. It's it's uh, it's really different. Yeah, you know when you get to voting rights, it's well, it's it's extremely political. And two, you're talking about basic constitutional rights people have, and how much a constitutional right uh, can Congress uh, really not only affect but eliminate or add, add other difficulties to permit the person to exercise that right. And, of course, that's, that's where we are with this Voting Rights Act and all these states that are putting in these extreme valid uh, restrictions. Uh, so it's a, it's a very difficult situation to, to evaluate and to determine how it's going to happen
0: We'll be return with Senator DeConcini in a moment and uh, a further discussion of the issue, these issues, infrastructure, voting rights, and the big question is compromise dead in the U.S. Senate. Uh, we'll be back with Senator Dennis DeConcini in just a moment. The Think Tank, KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. We are back with former Senator Dennis DeConcini. He was senator from Arizona between 1977 and 1995, talking about the operation of the Senate. In particular, I want to throw out to you, Senator, the question, uh, is compromise dead in the U.S. Senate? I don't know if it's dead, but it sure seems like uh, life support.
1: uh, I'm sorry. uh, Excuse me, Mike. Say say again, Mr. Persson part of the question sure uh
0: the question is is compromise dead in the u.s senate or just on life support it seems like uh we don't get a whole lot of compromise anymore
1: no it's changed since my day that 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 was way last century and it's very unfortunate it's become politically almost a hazard if you are trying to compromise something and uh, it's been coming along for some time i am really really sorry to see that because you know democracies succeed on compromise and our founding fathers are a perfect example of that so many illustrations of their compromising and putting the government together and the compromise mean you give up something that uh, you want And uh, in exchange, you get something, and you're not fully satisfied that you got everything you want, but you felt like you moved the the chip down the the game board, and you got closer to where you want to be. So that is considered a success. And then when you have (coughs) have the compromise, you also have to deal with the political consequences. When you don't have a compromise, the political consequences are, are 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 quite different, in my opinion, because if you don't compromise and you just stay with your position, you're going to please the so-called hardcore supporters, but you're going to turn off, you know, independents who believe, and I've seen surveys of the particular independents and moderate Democrats and modern Republicans that you know it's it's that's what you're there. Or to find a solution, not to just oppose everything, uh, but it's so different, uh, Mike, than than uh, like I like to say, the good old days.
0: The uh, one of the things we we hit on briefly on the last section, I think you agreed when I suggested that uh, infrastructure is easier to compromise. In that there's a right now, there's two bills. There's a Democratic or rather a bipartisan bill of about a trillion dollars over over a period of, I think, 10 years. And and that seems to be a bipartisan. It seems to me that goes through. The Democrats are proposing an additional three trillion uh, that seems to me uh, is falling a little bit short. The Democrats have 50 votes. Joe Manchin has said that's too much. Kirsten Cinema, I think, has been silent on it. I read those tea leaves and, and it says to me they're going to come up with a second bill and it's going to be something less than three. How how low do you have to go to get Manchin and perhaps Cinema on board and then – then a you probably get a, a somewhat—it's really—but it would be the Democrats compromising with themselves. Is is that what you see happening with that one?
1: Yes. Yes, it is. I agree with that observation. <laughs> a lot of speculation. But uh, Manchin has already mentioned <clears throat> about 2.5 or something is, uh, you know, the maximum or something that he could we be willing to go. And I just suspect that they will find some— area there to get all the democrats uh, on board uh you know they it's a big it's a big political risk if they don't do anything and uh it's some political risk perhaps for Manchin and cinema and others who don't go along with it but i just i just think that uh, there's little doubt that they're going to have to and of course you know president biden uh you know <clears throat> he's compromised all his life he was in the senate I was with him for 18 years, and he was—he was uh, a was guy that put stuff together, and he wasn't just stuck in one one area, and he could—he could compromise, and he knew how. Now he preaches that a lot now, uh, and uh, I don't know how much, and I'm not close enough to it to see how much he personally gets involved. Uh, but when a president personally gets involved with you, uh, and I've had that on a few times, with uh with uh, Ronald Reagan and Jimmy Carter. Uh, it's, um, you know, it, it, I don't know, for some reason, it weighs a little little bit more, at least in those days it did. Now, I can't speak for Senator Manchin or Sinema, uh, but I suspect the president has reached out to them and will eventually, uh, you know, come up with uh, either through his surrogates or himself talking with him that um, helps the member who is in the is in the shoes of not being able to support the bill that the president wants and that the majority of the caucus wants that uh, you are you know you're a big player and uh, you get the attention of the president uh, that's that's worth something politically uh, and-, and if you're if, if you're satisfied that It's really necessary. You know, we have to take some risk.
0: Now, uh, the other major bill that's up before the Senate, uh, I wonder if this isn't a whole lot more difficult. And that's the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, uh, which would have the effect of subjecting many of the myriad of state restrictions on voting to uh, uh, Justice Department overview and make it more Mm -hmm. difficult. That seems to me to be more difficult to compromise on than just a a money bill.
1: Oh, I agree. I agree because a money bill, you have reconciliation, uh, and you don't need 60 votes. You just need a majority. Mm -hmm. But on the voting rights, John Lewis voting rights, you have to have 60 votes. They haven't come up with a way to put that... For, for expenses uh, under uh, reconciliation. I don't see how we could. So you have to compromise if you're going to get it. I forget the name of the senator on the Republican side. For a while, seemed to be working towards uh, a compromise. Uh, and now that, that apparently has not uh, proceeded very well, although at least I don't read about it anymore or hear about it anymore. But uh, that's a difficult one uh to to
0: to pass in today's world and that might get us back to your uh your comments about the modifications and the filibuster may be required to to deal with that one. Yes. So.
1: Yes, you know that that's always the option and it's been used several times uh Mitch McConnell has used it to carve it out for different appointments and things he wants and uh they did it to, I think it was called a group of 8 it was bipartisan some years ago, uh, four uh, Democrats and four Republicans got together and uh, agreed to uh, exempt Supreme Court judges and some federal appointees.
0: We'll, we'll be back uh, with so Senator it. Senator Deaconsini, uh after the break and the news, and uh, we're in the think tank. We'll see you back in a few minutes. Think Tank. KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. We're talking here with retired uh, U.S. Senator Dennis DeConcini who was senator from Arizona from 1977 to 1995. As he put it himself, it was the last century. Uh, but there is one thing I want to indulge myself personally. There's one thing I've kind of always been curious about. Um, and this was your involvement in the uh, Panama Canal Treaty of 1977, uh, which uh, was in some which was very very unpopular with uh, the uh, with the pop, with the pub, with the public. It was supported by the president, who was then Jimmy Carter, and uh, you introduced a reservation, which was commonly referred to as the DeConcini Amendment. Uh, Which allowed the United States, and I quote, to take such steps as each deems necessary in accordance with constitutional process, including the use of military force in the Republic of Panama to reopen the canal or restore operations. I want. I'm just really, just personally curious about what this goes back a ways. But your was your motivation to provide cover for the last few senators who you needed their votes? Was it a sop to the right? Was it something you felt that was really necessary? Uh, uh, what, what was what was that about? All these years later. Well, it's yeah,
1: it's very interesting and takes a little time to to go over. But uh, when I ran in '76. It was an issue. And, uh, you know, that it it would be up for the confirmation. And I took a position there against it. And there was letters that we sent out in those days, not emails, just taking my position. When I got back there, that's the the position I took. Being a moderate Democrat, uh, Warren Christopher, the Secretary of State, kind of attached himself to me to try to get me to change. And uh, I said I just couldn't do it. And he and other members were making some representations uh, that I found out later were not accurate, <clears throat> at least not from the Panamanian side, about we could always use military force to keep the canal open. And, uh, uh, and, and I have great respect for Warren Christopher. He's just a marvelous man. Uh, and then finally, uh, not finally, but next came Bob Byrd. As a freshman senator, the majority leader comes over and uh, to my office. That just never happens, particularly to a so-called freshman senator to, to ask me to please support it. And I told him the problem. And he said, well, why don't you take a look and see if there's some compromise or something? I said, oh, you know, I will, Mr. Leader. So then I decided to go to Panama and meet with Perillos, uh, which I did. And I took uh, my mother, uh, my press secretary, my wife, and my brother and we went down there and we met with, uh, you know, the Chamber of Commerce and the military and what have you. And uh, the, the bishop, or the cardinal. And then we went out to this little island where Toriyos kept a summer home or something. And we sat in a brown, big round table and he, he was there, of course. And he, when he realized brought my mother, he was so impressed, he kept talking about it, talking about it. And so then we started talking about this treaty. So I raised the subject about, uh, I'm I'm pleased, he said, uh, "I I, no, I didn't say I'm pleased, I said, I understand that uh, the United States has the right to to use military force to keep that open uh, no matter what. And he said, no, no, that's not in the treaty. And he said, but you don't have to worry. I remember him saying this all through an interpreter court, you don't have to worry. We would call on you, and uh, we wouldn't have to. So I was taken back by that. I didn't argue with him. And just a sidebar in the background, his head had one of its head uh, advisors, uh, and I believe it was his, uh, head of his uh, security, uh, national security, force, was this guy Noriega, and I remember so well because he had a pockmarked face. Mm-hmm. So uh, I I came back from my visit there, just sure that you know. He thinks that it's not in there. I'm not going to vote for it, even though there's been representation that uh, we can do that. So, you know, the time went on and uh, on, and and uh, uh, John Wayne came out for the treaty and, you know, what have you. And I just I just took my position. And finally, they came to me and said, what would it take? And uh, so I consulted with uh, my uh, chief legislative director, a dear friend of mine, Romano Romani, and I said, let's draw something up that gives the U.S. the right in perpetuity to use military force. And I said, I don't think they'll take it. And if they don't take it, at least I showed some reasonableness. And, uh, you know, then I I get to stick with my position because that's where I wanted to be politically. But now I got pretty involved in it. Well, I offered that to them, and they said, well, can't do that, can't do that. You know, it's already in there. It's already in there. Then, finally, the president called me down, Jimmy Carter, and I told him what I needed. He said, no, I think we have the power. And he said, you know, we would do it anyway, uh, Dennis. You know, he we, would, we wouldn't we would let him take that canal. We'd just use it. And I said, it seems to me, under international law, and I'm no expert on it, but, you know, you need it in the treaty." So he tried to talk me out of it. I said, No. I went to the office and went back to the office. I remember talking to my advisors and said, "No, I think I think we're we're, we're free and clear here. We're not going to they're not going to bring it up or they have to find the vote someplace else." So lo and behold, they come and say, "Okay, we'll take it." So there were a couple other senators, uh, Hatfield and uh, I thought forgot one other one, um, uh, who you know took the same position after I found out this information. So I. Uh, they said they would take the amendment. So the, the treaty's up on the floor of the Senate, and Bob Byrd uh, wants, wants uh, to raise my amendment, and he wants me to just put a time limit of 15 minutes on it so there wouldn't be any debate. And uh, I said, that's fine with me, you know, and uh, they compromised or something, they had a half-hour debate or something, not very long, and uh, then they had a vote. And, and and it passed by two votes, I believe. So sixty was, sixty. If
0: you're talking about the uh, the overall vote was. It got sixty eight. It needed sixty seven.
1: Yes, that's right. That's exactly right. So so my my amendment brought uh, three three senators on board. And one of the sidebars, just I didn't want to overburden uh, your listeners with this, but uh, uh, Howard Baker. Who is the Republican minority leader, he was for the treaty. Now here he is leading the Republicans, for the most part being against it, and here he is for it. And so I, I went and asked him, I said, Mr. Leader, how how do you, how do you reconcile? How do how you do this politically? And he never forget what he said to me. He said, well, Dennis, after you're here, maybe it won't take very long, Sometimes you will learn, sometimes you just do what is right, regardless of the consequences. Not all the times, because we all have to take care of our you know, special interests, our special concerns, but that's, that's what we do. And, uh, you know, I've thought, talk about a leader that, uh, you know, called it right. Uh, he, he, was, he, was the, he was the perfect, perfect example.
0: Yeah, I was going. I was going to raise that, even if you hadn't, because I've seen where you have written very, very positively about uh, Howard Baker, and yeah. and 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 it ties into our earlier discussion of bipartisanship. This seems like exactly the sort of thing that wouldn't happen now.
1: Yeah, I don't think so, Mike. I don't think the atmosphere there is there, and just a little bit more information on it. This caused me all kinds of political problems in Arizona. They started a recall movement and I had, I had had strong support from military and the veterans and though they came out against me, I was scheduled to speak before the BFW uh, convention and uh, I went to it and a big chunk of them members got up and walked out. So I knew I had a real political problem and uh, one of the things I did, uh, which I wanted to do anyway, there was a select committee in the Senate on veterans. So I got myself appointed on that, and I really devoted a lot of time, and it, and it worked. Uh, from Politically, it worked. And later, I had many veteran leaders say, you know, Senator, what you did was right, uh, because you, you, you protected our interests. Now, some never got over it. But uh, it, it was it was a difficult political thing, and of course, when I ran the next time, that's exactly what they they used against me.
0: I I think if I recall, you weren't I, the, the thing about that. I would I would relay for our uh, all but our more o- older uh, audience, is this was the visceral issue of the day, and it was one where this, this treaty was proposed and ratified in the face of a public that was pretty substantially against it. This did not have majority support. This was vehemently opposed, not just in Arizona, but in a lot of places through the country. And I, I think there were a, a lot of others, and I don't recall who lost, but who certainly uh, put themselves in political jeopardy by voting for this.
1: Yeah, I forgot the senator I think his name was well, uh, I think it wasn't the uh, Hatfield from Oregon. I think he was from Idaho or, or Wyoming or something. He lost his his position because of it. Hmm. And it was very, very much opposed by the public. And uh, although it was it was interesting that Perry Goldwater, who voted it against it, uh, he had uh, expressed some support for it and had written something in support for it uh, when uh, before Carter was elected and uh, I remember John Wayne uh, we got a hold of John Wayne and uh, he was willing to do a commercial for us and we didn't do that Uh, but uh, it was was a real political um, problem for me and it took took a while and uh, some of it was paying deep attention to the, the veteran needs. Uh, and, I, and I was on the Appropriations Committee in a days of the earmarks, and I could do a lot of stuff that the veterans wanted that wasn't included in the president's budget.
0: Well, I remember the whole issue. It also brought about one of my favorite political quotes of all time was associated with this issue. Senator Hayakawa, the linguist from California, oh yeah, who, yeah, who yeah. said, "Panama Canal, it's ours. We stole it fair and square." Yeah, yeah,
1: that was famous thing. That was going to mention that too.
0: Uh, we'll be back uh, in a concluding segment with Senator Dennis DeConsini, now retired U.S. Senator, who was in office from 77 through 95 when we return in just a moment in the Think Tank. The Think Tank, KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. OK, we're back with Senator, now retired Senator Dennis DeConsini, Uh uh, I thank him for that little walk through memory lane on the on the uh, Panama Canal Treaty, which, in, if you if you lived through that, you remember what a huge, all consuming, and highly emotional thing that was. I want to ask you, Senator, to kind of reflect a little more broadly on on your career. Uh, If you were to think of, uh, you know, a couple of things you're most proud of and uh, what what, what comes to mind that you'd like most like to be known for?
1: Well, um, you know, like to be known for as a a compromiser. I was wanting to find the middle ground because that's my philosophical and political beliefs. And that's what I would want to be known for. I uh, am very proud to have suggested Sandra O'Connor uh, to the Supreme Court, uh, which was motivated by, I have to say, politics. But uh, when that vacancy occurred, before anybody did anything, I wrote a letter to uh, Ronald Reagan, uh, suggesting her, and I had known her for a long time, way back when I worked for Governor Doddard, and she was in the Attorney General's office, and. We had social contacts with she and John when I lived in Phoenix working for the governor. So I uh, I was proud to do it, but I have to be honest about it. It it turned out to be very politically supportive, and then you know we put out a press release and oh my gosh it just got tremendous support. And uh, then I I went to see Barry Goldwater, and he was infamous about using four letter words, and I go into his office and he, he says some. Um, that's a darn good idea. Uh, and it's wonderful, I'm going, to, I'm going to talk to the president. So I think, I think that would really help, uh, Barry, I think it really would. And so he said, Judy Eisenhower was his kind of chief of staff right outside the door. He called Judy and said, Judy, get the president on the phone. And uh, she, so she tried to call him and he couldn't take the call. But uh, he told me later that he talked to Reagan And Reagan agreed to interview her. And a lot of people take credit for it. I don't take credit for her her being being the nominee. I just take some credit for bringing it to the attention uh, first. Uh, Maybe it would have come anyway. I don't know. I'm not too sure because they they were talking about other people. At the same time, uh, Rehnquist was being promoted to be chief justice. And... uh, I, uh, I supported him, I knew him vaguely, but he was from Arizona, and I knew he was qualified. And it was a difficult time because the Democrats all took him on. And I believe I was the only Democrat uh, who, who supported Rehnquist. Those were, those were things that, to me, doing something, even though it turns out to be very political, but because it's the right thing to do and it's good for for your, for your country and your state. The other thing i am never ashamed of is the uh, being from earmarks. I did hundreds of earmarks over my 18 years on the Appropriation Committee. And uh, it was unfortunate that it got out of hand, particularly by a good friend of mine, Ted Stevens from Alaska, who did the bridge to nowhere. Uh, we didn't do those kind of things. and uh, But we, we, we did a lot of things on the Indian Reservation that were not in the budget. Lots of things for the veterans. The Veterans Assisted Living—I'm not sure the name of it now—at the Veterans Center, an Indian School, and in, uh, uh, Central Avenue—that was put there by an earmark, and Bob Stump, then Congressman Stump, and I supported it, and I put it in, and it got there, and uh, it was just uh, really, really something uh, to, to to see that those things occur for a state because a state like Arizona. Didn't have that much clout because we didn't have two, a whole bunch of members in the House. We only had, uh, I think it was four or five at that time, and then two senators. So it was it was important.
0: Well, I remember that actually from our last interview because. Uh, the defense of earmarks is a pretty unpopular thing to state explicitly, certainly amongst anybody in current office. It, 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 uh, I remember your comments were that earmarks were very useful in greasing the wheels of compromise.
1: Yes, that's, that's, what, that's what forced people to work together. Because I used to get Al D'Amato, a Republican, who died on the Appropriations Committee, in New York to support me for Indian schools and Indian health system and uh, the courthouse at, uh, at uh, it's now Senator Day O'Connor Courthouse. And I would have to do something for him. And one of the things he asked me to do was that uh, the uh, United States uh, uh, Coast Coast Guard was uh, going to change all kinds of the, their uh, coast boats, and he wanted the Coast Guard to transfer those boats to New York, with not with not paying anything, and that made sense to me. So I did that. He was so grateful because there was opposition to it, and that that you know we had a working relationship. So it it, it forced you to 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 do that with other people, and that happened along with. A NUMBER OF SENATORS, INCLUDING TED STEVENS. IT'S JUST UNFORTUNATE IT GOT SO OUT OF HAND. BUT THERE IS TALK ABOUT IT COMING BACK. I'VE TALKED TO A NUMBER OF SENATORS AND HOUSE MEMBERS. THEY'RE TALKING ABOUT BRINGING IT BACK. AND I THINK THERE'S GOING TO BE A RULE CHANGE SOMETIME IN THE HOUSE THAT WOULD PERMIT uh, FULL TRANSPARENCY OF WHAT THE EARMARK IS. AND IT WOULD ONLY BE AT FIRST GOVERNMENTAL AGENCIES OR nonprofits. COULDN'T BE ANY INDIVIDUAL OR, or BUSINESS. And to me, it's, it, 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 it might very well help how it doesn't run the deficit up. That's what has always been the argument, that you're adding money to run the deficit. You take the money from some other area, and there uh, are a lot of places, not only defense, but a lot of other places where there are excess money, they can't spend it all. And one of the places in those days was the Internal Revenue Service. We gave them more money to collect more taxes to offset at spending, that they had more money and more people. Uh, I mean, not enough people, but excess funds that they weren't spending. So you know, that's it. Can be argued both ways, but the, I think the, the bottom line is that if it's abused, uh, it's a bad thing. If it's not abused and fully transparent, and it wasn't in those days, uh, then I say it, it brings together members, which is really important today uh, i don't know if he'll ever come back i'm not real optimistic about it but maybe in a limited basis
0: well when you mentioned senator d'amato the, the, one of the things that struck me is this was a very very conservative republican senator from new york and you're not going to get yeah. one of those <laughs> <laughs> no right. mean the, the the uh it has to do with the kind of the political landscape underneath there. Yeah. Uh, you just aren't going to elect a Republican from New York. You're not going to. Frankly, you're not are New York is going to elect people very much on the liberal end of the scale and other other places. Yeah,
1: they, yeah, they did. And then they, they, and then they had Senator Javits, who's a Republican, but he was considered pretty liberal.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well you had liberal Republicans and the most conservative people at all in the Senate were Southern Dixiecrat Democrats.
1: Yeah, and Barry Goldwater. Yep.
0: You
1: know, you talk you talk about conservatism compared to today what is considered conservatism. You know, in those days you had Ronald Reagan and you had Barry Goldwater and even John McCain. Those were the conservative Republicans. Not, not like they claim to be now, and it's really tragic, in my opinion, to see this conservative, Republican party go so far uh, to the to the extremes. But I, whether you're a Democrat or Republican, to me, extreme right or extreme left, are, are not where this country is, even though there is a certain following of that.
0: And that's the final word. And I want to thank you so much, Senator DeConcini. We appreciate well, you joining the think tank. We'll be back next week with another topic.